0: the leadership at Crosspoint, and I thank you uh, for giving me this opportunity to speak to you so early in my role here. For our opening prayer, I'd like to use a scripted prayer written by St. Augustine in his work, The Confessions. And it's Augustine's prayer, but we would do well this morning, I think, to use it as our own prayer this morning as we prepare our hearts to hear from and receive God's word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is you who move man to delight in your praise. For you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. In your mercy, Lord, my God, tell me what you are to me. Say to my soul. I am your salvation. So speak that I may hear you. The ears of my heart are turned to you, Lord. Open them. And say to my soul, I am your salvation. In Christ's name. Amen. As we begin this morning, think about how you would answer this question. Which is themed around our text. What keeps your soul from praising God? We were just informed biblically by Augustine that our hearts were made to worship God. Our hearts have been uniquely divinely calibrated and fine tuned to praise God. So, what most often hinders authentic worship in your life? What keeps your soul from praising God? This morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, number 103. It's found in page 502, I believe, in the Bible supplied for you. Psalm 103. In this psalm, we immediately find that the author David, although a man after God's own heart, a man divinely anointed as king of unified Israel, the people of God, a man whose character and calling was intended to serve as a picture for us of the long-awaited and prophesied Messiah, David, the King David at the end of his life is asking himself our same question. What is most keeping my soul from doing what it was created to do? From giving God praise. Can you picture him? Sitting in the opulence and breathtaking beauty of the palace he had built for himself maybe looking out his window at the vast expanse of the unified kingdom God had given to him, reflecting on all the material blessings he had received from God's hand, and he feels empty. He feels restless. A growing sense of discontentment, dissatisfaction begins to weigh in on his own soul. And the answer dawns on him. What is keeping my soul from praising God? I have forgotten the benefits of God's grace. I have forgotten the benefits of God's grace. Have You ever forgotten God's grace? It is devastatingly common in our church culture today to view God's grace as elementary in our spiritual growth. To move past the gospel and on to higher theology and service projects. Friends, I warn you as I warn myself so often that such a mindset only breeds spiritual apathy, and discontentment. Are you there this morning? Have you viewed God's grace as elementary? Have you begun to view the sovereign God of the universe as a sort of cosmic butler who first gives you grace and then gives you stuff If so, then there is most definitely hope for you in this psalm. Let me encourage you to imitate David, who by God's grace is convicted of his forgetfulness and begins to preach to his own soul, Wake up! Bless the Lord! And forget not all his benefits. I pray this morning that as we hear from God's word through faith, our souls might join David's in singing to and praising God for his abundant grace toward us. Psalm 103, verses one through five, that's our text this morning, those five verses. Let me encourage you to follow along with me as I read. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David begins this psalm of praise by preaching to his own soul. He directly addresses his own soul twice in this stanza, making it overwhelmingly clear that the benefits he had forgotten were the benefits God had applied to his own person. And in directly addressing his own soul by name, he is confronting The enemy of God's praise. Head on. External circumstances are never the enemy. External circumstances are never the enemy. Work projects. Exam week students. Late nights. Early mornings. Caffeine headaches. Relationship dilemmas. If you're looking for the source of your forgetfulness in any of these things, you will never find it. You will only find the source of your forgetfulness, the enemy of God's praise. When you search the depths of your own soul. It's a dark conclusion, isn't it? It's a dark conclusion That we must all come to. That we, each and every one of us, left to ourselves, are the enemies of God's praise. And therefore, a sermon is in order one that each of us preaches to his own soul. Charles Spurgeon has commented. Many talk freely enough to others. We know those people. Many talk freely enough to others, but never talk to themselves. They are strangers to themselves, not on speaking terms with themselves. Take no interest in their own souls, are dull and melancholy when alone. Have you found that to be the case in your own heart? Maybe you're in your latter years and like David, you've done very well for yourself in acquiring much of what your heart has ever desired. And yet, as you look out at the vast expanse of your own kingdom. There's a dullness of soul. There's a dissatisfaction of spirit. There's a forgetfulness of the goodness of God's grace. The distinguishing mark of a believer, however. Is that he is never, ever content with such dullness. When dullness and depression like this overtake you, Christian. Imitate David. And remind yourself of the benefits of God's grace. David gives us a five point outline here, the content of which is meant to be replicated in our own sermons to our own souls. Five reasons why we should bless God. Five reasons why we should bless God. First. We should bless God for divine forgiveness. Divine forgiveness. You see that in verse three, who forgives all your iniquity. David lists this benefit first. Because this is the primary gift God gives to us in the gospel. Recall Jesus' first words to the paralytic who was brought to him by his friends seeking healing. Son. Your sins are forgiven. Our savior is kind enough. To meet our most dire need first. Even when we are unaware of its demand. And not only is the forgiveness of sins the most primary gift of the gospel. It is the most costly. The only reason Jesus could forgive the paralytic sins. Was because he himself would take God's judgment on his behalf. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've come here in search of healing or emotional well-being or stability. And we're so glad you're here. All of what you seek is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But know this. Christ did not die for nothing. Christ did not die so that you might receive his healing, yet reject his grace. Scripture tells us Christ died for our sins. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for Our sins, in accordance with the scriptures. And friend, it is of first importance for you this morning, just as it was for David when he penned this psalm, to first embrace and rejoice in God's most primary and costly gift of divine forgiveness. The promise is here in this passage before you God will forgive all your iniquity, all your sins. Even the ones whose memories continue to haunt you to this day. All your guilt can be removed. Just as you undoubtedly sing often in this church, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Friend, God has no intention of forgiving you halfway. Nor does he wish for a moment longer to hold any grudge against you. Instead, he offers you complete divine forgiveness, total forgiveness through the atoning death and resurrection of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ who forgives all your iniquity. Second, we should bless God for divine healing. Divine healing, still in verse 3, who heals... All your diseases. We must not forget that after Jesus forgave the paralytic sins, he did heal him. Spurgeon once again comments, having forgiven as a judge. He then heals as a physician. There's debate about this verse among scholars. Regarding whether. David is speaking here about healing of the body or. Healing of the soul. Let me just ask you straight out. Which type of healing do you think we need most? Which type of healing brings you most joy? How are our prayer requests to one another indicative of that? God values our bodily health. And that of our friends and family members. And he heals often. I pray for healing often for myself, for my friends, for my family. Undoubtedly, you've seen his healing power at work in this congregation before. But what brings God most joy is healing of the soul was Christ himself who said, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So what are we to take from this? What's the psalmist praising God for? He's praising God for being the great physician who heals our bodies, whether by medicine or by miracle. But even more than that, he's praising God for being the gracious Healer of our souls. In his mercy, he creates in us clean hearts. By his faithfulness toward us, he renews a right spirit within us. He heals all your diseases. Third. We should bless God for divine redemption. Divine redemption. In verse 4 now, who redeems your life from the pit. Or to put it another way, who delivers your life from death. King David, although blessed by God by all of his military victories and kingdom stability, almost always had death threats on his life. The Psalms are filled with them. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Hear my voice, O God. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. And at the end of David's life. Perhaps as he's thumbing through some of these psalms in which he cries out to God for deliverance. He is reminded of God's faithfulness toward him, and he is overwhelmed with praise. You've done the same, haven't you? God delivers you from a tragic car accident that was inches away from taking away your life. God sustains you through a life threatening operation that was imperative toward your condition. You think back in hindsight. On all these things and you praise God for his faithfulness to you. But notice the word David uses here. It's in the present tense. Who redeems your life from the pit. We can't limit this to the past. David isn't just looking nostalgically into the past. No. David is looking prophetically into the thousand-year-thick fog of the future at the light of New Testament revelation centered on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad it would be, Christian, if God delivered you from sickness... If God delivered you from tragic car accidents, if God delivered you through life threatening operations, only to let death have the last word? But he has not let death have the last word. Because in John 11, at his friend Lazarus's tomb, our Lord Jesus makes a death threat. On death itself. I am the resurrection. And the life. Whoever believes in me. Though he die. Yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me. Shall never die. Remove the stone. And then Jesus. Turns to Martha. Lazarus's little sister. Who was. Grieving over her beloved brother's death. And he asks her a very appropriate question. one that can be applied to all of us as well. Jesus asks her. You believe this? Do you believe this? David did. But whereas David possessed. The promise of redemption. We can praise the person of redemption. Who resurrected from gruesome crucifixion and death. Ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us. Paul tells us in Colossians 1. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. What does this mean? It means that only the Christian. Can mock and gloat over and jeer at death. Only the Christian can sing with the hymn writer. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, and midst the brotherhood on high to be at home with God. Jesus, thou Prince of life, thy chosen cannot die. Like thee they conquer in the strife, to reign with thee on high. We've been redeemed for a purpose. We have been redeemed in Christ so that we can reign with Christ. This brings us to our next point. Fourth. We should bless God for divine coronation. Divine coronation. Who crowns you with steadfast love. First, he redeems us from the pit. Then he crowns us as royalty. Mark Gladwell has remarked, the psalmist takes us in one sweep from the pit to the palace. And remember, this is how God dealt with Israel of old. First, he redeemed them from bondage of slavery in Egypt. And second, he crowned them with steadfast love. A love which God has specifically reserved for his beloved people. Once they were prisoners. Once they were slaves. But God rescued them and made them kings, a kingdom of priests. So why does David include this in the benefits of God's grace? Something that happened so distantly in the past. Why does he include this? Why should we include this in our praise? David is rejoicing that he has been included among the people of God. There is no greater joy than to know with full assurance that you are among the redeemed. This is why our time together on Sunday morning should be filled with joy, filled with singing, we smile so that people can see our joy. We sing loudly so that people can hear our joy. We've been included among God's people. In Luke 10, Jesus tells his disciples who had just returned from their miracle maiden voyage and who were overjoyed with their success. Do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names have been written in heaven. There is no greater joy than to know with full assurance that you are among the redeemed. You ever considered how hopeless we once were? As Mr. Al read in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses. We were doomed in our sins, alienated, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenants, by the way, which promised a redeemer that would cover our sin. Strangers to the covenants of promise without God and without hope. God has taken us in one sweep from the pit to the palace. We are no longer slaves, but freed men and freed women. We are no longer prisoners, but kings and queens. He has placed his steadfast love on you. Perhaps some of you this morning need to hear that he also crowns you With mercy. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Alexander Grossart. A Scottish pastor of the 19th century. Tells this moving story. That's appropriate here. In the town of Stirling, Workmen were blasting a section of the castle wall near where it juts out and hangs over a walk. The fuse was laid and lit and an explosion was momentarily expected. Suddenly, trotting around the great wall of the cliff came a little child. Going straight to where the match burned. The men shouted, and by their very terror and shouting, only alarmed and bewildered the poor little thing. By this time, the mother also had come around. In a moment, saw the danger, opened wide her arms, and cried from her very heart, Come to me, my darling! And instantly, with eager pattering feet, And little arms open to her arms and tear-filled eyes answering to her eyes. The little child ran back and away and stopped not until she was clasped in her mother's embrace. The motherly heart gave way to tears in the thought of so dangerous an escape. For it was barely by a second. As the roar of the shattered rock. mercy of God for his people. The mercy of God for his people is very nearly comparable. To a mother's compassion and mercy for her own child. And yet it is completely. Incomparable. In Isaiah 49, God tells his people who are in exile from their homeland, why? Because of their many and heinous sins. God tells his people in exile in Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no mercy. On the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Yet I will never forget you. And Christian, God has included you. Among his privileged people, he doesn't simply drag you out of the pit and leave you exposed and naked to die. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He chooses to be loyal to you, even when you are not loyal to him. And you may think that you have outsinned his mercy. But God in Christ has stretched out his arms further than you could ever imagine and is now calling to you. Come to me, my darling. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Fifth and finally. We should bless God for divine renewal. Divine renewal, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Even in David's old age, God was giving David strengthening grace to serve him as he did in his youth. I remember when Mary and I, a couple of years ago, were looking to move back to Kentucky, to Louisville, Kentucky, so that I could finish my seminary degree on campus there. And in Louisville, because of the seminary's presence there, tons of healthy churches crawling with seminary students who are equipped and ready to serve. And we visited one while we were up there, a wonderful church. The singing was loud. I'm not just talking about the instrumentation, the voices lifting the ceiling off, practically. The preaching was rock solid. The community was warm, hospitable, inviting. But as I sat in the back, I was so very disappointed with what I saw. Because in a room filled to the brim with people eager and ready to hear God's word, I did not see a single person over the age of probably 40. Younger people need to see older people praising God. Younger people need to hear older people recount the ways in which God has been faithful to them. Younger people need to regularly observe how a seasoned Christian prays and serves and grieves and perseveres this is why cross advocates as much as possible age integrated family integrated worship on Sunday mornings we believe it takes a church to raise a Christian that Christians of all ages need Christians of all ages In order to reach the full maturity Christ has intended for us all, David is telling us here that even in old age, God will strengthen his people to youthful like service for his name. John Piper's words are appropriate and challenging here. He writes, Finishing life to the glory of Christ means finishing life in a way that makes Christ look glorious. It means living and dying in a way that shows Christ to be the all-satisfying treasure that he is. So it would include, for example, not living in ways that make this world look like your treasure. Instead knowing that we have an infinitely satisfying and everlasting inheritance just over the horizon of life, makes us zealous in our few remaining years here to spend ourselves in the sacrifices of love, not the accumulation of comforts. And then he closes with this charge. Live dangerously the one who loved you and died for you in his thirties. Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, even now that you've reached an older age? The longer your memory, the longer you live, the longer your memory and history of what God has done for you, Are you relying on the strengthening grace God provides to equip you for service to his people? or Have you given up? Don't give up. He who promised is faithful. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So easy. It's so easy, isn't it? To get caught up in petition after petition after petition like David. That we begin to lose sight of what all God has done for us in Christ. Friends, you and I were made to worship. Our hearts have been uniquely, divinely calibrated and fine tuned. To praise God. Therefore, we must always be vigilant to remind ourselves of the wonderful benefits of God's grace. Our hearts will be restless until we do so. May God grant us all vivid and sweet memories of his goodness to us in Christ. So that we, by God's grace, will awaken our souls to sing with David. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Let's pray together. Our father, we will never fathom or comprehend all that you are to us, for you are far greater than we could ever imagine. But we ask, as Paul did, that we would be strengthened in our own inner beings, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. So that we might begin to understand even the slightest bit of the grand scope of your love for us. That we might be filled with all your fullness. And astounded always, always, Father, even in old age, astounded always at the abundant goodness of your grace toward us. Do this for the glory of Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.